Welcome, my name is Wes, I'm the other pastor here at Crossroads. Uh, I'm aware that we've got some folks that are here maybe for the very first time. Uh, and if that's you, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we hope that you enjoy this service, we hope that you'll come back. Uh, we're not going to do anything to point you out or hopefully weird you out. But this is normally a time that we take an offering, and we're going to do that in just a moment. But I've got a couple of other announcements I want to share before we do that. And then this morning, I actually want to read the scripture text that we're going to look at ahead of time. And then during the teaching time, we will look through that uh, a little bit together. But first of all, many of you enjoy some wonderful snacks on a Sunday morning. And there is a new sign-up sheet that's out there. Uh, if you regularly provide and bake some of those snacks, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we get a lot of comments about how wonderful that is to be able to come in on a Sunday morning and have a little something to eat. And for those of you who do, signing up early is just wonderful. It helps Earl and Barb in their preparation and other things. So if you would do that today or next week, that would, that would be just awesome. Hey, Easter is coming up in two weeks, believe it or not. Even though it's a little later than normal, it just seems to always catch me by surprise. But in two weeks, uh, Easter will be here. And we have a wonderful Easter service planned. As you've already heard, there are some adults that are gathering to, to sing a number. They're going to do a choir number. Uh, some of our children are going to sing. There's going to be a children's message. The service will actually start at the normal time at 1030. It will probably be about 15 minutes longer than normal, so to about 1145. Uh, and so Levi and I, the two things we would love for you to do in preparation for Easter. Number one, if you don't have an Easter devotional reading plan that you read through for a couple of weeks before Easter, we would highly encourage you to take advantage of some wonderful reading plans that are available online. Uh, on your back of your bulletin, you'll see the Bible app. There are 30 or 40 different Easter reading plans of various lengths, of various topics. I would really encourage you, find one of those. Spend some extra time in the next couple of weeks just thinking about, reminding yourself of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on our behalf so that on Easter Sunday, we can come together and just give ourselves in praise and in worship. So do that. The other thing we would encourage you to do is in the next two weeks, begin to prayerfully consider, do you have a family member? Do you work with someone? Do you have a neighbor that does not have a church family? Easter is absolutely the best time to give an invitation to come and to join you for worship. We're not talking about dragging somebody from a church that they're already connected to and doing well in. We don't want to do that. But, but all of us know people that are just disconnected. A simple invitation to join you at Easter time could literally transform their lives. I know that there are some of you that are here this morning that knew about God or knew about religion, but were invited to Crossroads Church. And after coming, after a period of time, realized that it was much more than a religion, but it was actually a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in the world. Some of you, your story begins with a simple invitation to come. And I'm not saying Crossroads is the only church. Other churches are teaching the gospel as well. But this is one that, that we, we would love for you to invite a friend or a neighbor. So think about doing that. Other thing I want to let you know is I had a conversation with Levi yesterday. He is doing well. And his time in the Basque country has convinced him all the more the importance of, of hosting Basque students, having students from Spain come. There are about four of you that are already planning to host students. We've got room for a couple more if you're interested. 
uh, he got to talk to a young lady that's a believer in Basque country. And she said, for Basque students, having them come and be exposed to what authentic faith in Jesus means is like just chipping away at a large stone. They live in a very spiritually dark environment. And so we can all begin to pray for the Basque. And, and we do look forward to Levi's report when, uh, when he comes back. Lynn and I spent a little time with Sheena Schwiebert last night. She's doing well. There are always ups and downs through the week, but continue to pray for Sheena and for Jeff and for the baby that she's carrying. Um, we're very thankful for what God has done and is doing in her life, but uh, just continue to remember them if you would. So this morning, if you'd like, you can turn to John chapter 14. Uh, it won't be on the screen until the teaching time, or you can just sit and listen these are the six verses that we're going to look at together during our teaching time this morning. And it starts in chapter, uh, in verse 1 of, of John 14. Jesus says to his disciples who were troubled at this time, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the, place, the way to the place that you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your incredible love for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the, the privilege that we have to be a part of a, a community and part of a church family and part of a country that allows us to, to teach your word and to, to be taught by your word. Uh, so thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for the truth that uh, you cared enough about us that uh, you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And uh, he didn't uh, forcibly come. He willingly came and lived his life and, and taught. We thank you for the opportunity to hear the words of Jesus Christ uh, this morning and to respond to those. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that even here at Easter time, we can think uh, more and more deeply about the sacrifice that Jesus was uh, willing to make on our behalf by going to the cross. And so, as Easter approaches, Lord, uh, would you uh, remind us, would you teach us, would you encourage us, would you change us by the truth of your incredible sacrificial love in Jesus Christ? Lord, we thank you for teachers that have prepared lessons for uh, younger uh, people in our, our church family this morning. Uh, I pray that those children would have open hearts and open minds to your word. I pray that the teachers would be encouraged. Uh, we thank you for Levi's uh, ability to encourage some of the missionaries that are in the, the Basque region of Spain. Uh, we pray that you give him uh, the last couple of days here just good interactions and opportunities to encourage and to learn uh, and give him a safe trip back. We pray for Rachel and the kids as they uh, await his uh, arrival, Lord. Um, Lord, we thank you for um, Sheena and Jeff and what they've seen in terms of your, your provision in the hospital. Uh, we pray for others here at Crossroads Napoleon that have ongoing uh, health issues, Lord. Uh, Lord, we just uh, confess that we are a needy group of people, and uh, we thank you that you're aware of that and that you love us and that you work uh, even good things in our lives through the, the difficulties that come. Um, Lord, we thank you that uh, you're a good God and we can enjoy your goodness, but we also thank you for 
the freedom that we have, the privilege that we have uh, to respond to your goodness by bringing gifts and offerings to you. Lord, as a church family, we're so thankful for the resources that you provide us and the way that you take care of us. May we always be a grateful people and may we, we be a blessing uh, because of the way that you have blessed us, Lord, uh, to others. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you've got children in second grade or younger, they can go back to class now. The ushers will come and uh, then after that we'll move into our teaching time. Yard. 
Intermission song was intentional. We are going to be talking a little bit about heaven today, and that is an awesome song. And so, if you would like to sing that sometime, talk to Caleb and the band, and maybe we'll we'll work that in. Okay, we've already been through the text this morning or read through it, but if you're not already there, grab a Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 14. Uh, you can find a Bible in the the seat cover in front of you. Uh, hopefully, you bring your own Bible, or you can open up one electronically. To John chapter 14, we are going to walk through those six verses uh, that I read earlier. Uh, If you've been here for a while, you know that we are kind of nearing the end of what we have called the I Am Teaching Series. Uh, This series has been covering the seven statements that Jesus made that are recorded in the Gospel of John that started with the phrase, I Am. And these statements were statements that Jesus made to tell us more about who he was. And ultimately, what Jesus, by making these I am statements, was saying was, I am not only the Son of God, I actually am God. At key points in his ministries, Jesus used these metaphors to let people know who he was. And in this series, we've looked at at Jesus say that, I am the bread of life in John 6, verse 35. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And in John 10, he said, I am the gate. And uh, in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. This morning, we are going to look at the sixth I am statement that he makes. And then next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, uh, so kids can get ready for their palm branches. Lynn's already got those ordered or getting them ordered this week. Uh, We are going to look at the seventh and the last of the I am statements. Church, I want you to know, if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that you are a perfect person or that you have everything together, but it means that you recognize that getting to heaven is not about being good or being religious or working hard enough, but that it's based on faith and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. If that describes you and your relationship with Jesus this morning, you are going to leave here encouraged or let me rephrase that if you listen to God's word this morning you are going to leave here encouraged Uh, when you read the Bible and it's always helpful when you read the Bible to understand some of the context in which the words that you're reading are spoken and so I want to provide just a little bit of context into this uh, text that we're going to walk through in just a moment here in John chapter 14 Jesus is speaking to his closest disciples. The 12 are seated around a table. They're probably not seated. They're probably reclining around a table, and they're having a meal in the upper room, and they're having what's called the Passover meal. And we won't describe that, but it was an annual meal that that the Jewish folks had. And in your Bible, if you look at John chapter 13 through 17, all of those chapters are words that Jesus spoke at one time in the upper room. It's considered the upper room discourse of Jesus Christ. And although 11 of the 12 disciples had no idea what was coming later that evening and the next day, Jesus Christ, at the moment that he spoke these words, was well aware that he was ours 
just hours away from being falsely accused, brutally beaten, mocked, and flogged, and eventually crucified between two criminals on a cross. In addition to this, he would have the wrath of God the Father poured out upon himself for the sins of mankind. So Jesus is aware of all of this that's coming. Let me ask you this. If you knew that was on the agenda for your day tomorrow, do you think you'd be that concerned about the troubles of other people around you today? If you're like me, probably not. Church, I don't want you to miss this. Look at verse number one of John chapter 14. While anticipating all that was about to be unleashed on him, Jesus Christ says to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Think about what Jesus is about to endure. Here in a few hours, he is going to endure what would be the worst day anybody has or could possibly endure. And at that moment, he is found providing comfort to his disciples. Jesus is filled with compassion and concern. So don't ever let the devil or yourself or someone else convince you that God does not care about the troubles that you have in this world, whether they are large troubles or whether they are small. That is simply a lie. Why were the, the disciples troubled? We need to, to look back just a little bit, and you can in your Bible do that, or you can look at the screen at John chapter 13. What precedes Jesus' words, do not let your hearts be troubled, tells us why the disciples were so uh, troubled and concerned. In verse 21, Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Now, you're probably aware of this, and Many Bible scholars will tell you that Jesus and the 12 disciples spent between three to three and a half years traveling together, teaching together, doing ministry together. He was leading them, discipling them. They had become a family. They had become a band of brothers, and they had just heard Jesus say that one of them was going to betray him. Now, dishonesty and, and cheating is bad enough, but betrayal... Betrayal involves uh, violating the trust of someone else that you know. The offense is against someone that you know, and, and I won't go into any long details, but a number of years ago, I had a very close friend that was accused of a, a devastating act of betrayal. And I got to tell you, when I first heard it, the shock, the disbelief, the confusion that I felt, if you hit me in the head with a baseball bat, I, my head would not have spun any more than it was after I, I heard what had happened. This is the kind of emotion that the disciples are feeling when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, in addition to that, in verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus says, my children, my disciples, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. The disciples expected Jesus to say that the Jewish leaders, the hypocrites, the, the, the uh, legalistic leaders of the day couldn't follow him, but now he is actually speaking to them and telling them the very same thing. 
And, and it's confusing and it's hurtful to these men because they have, they have bet everything on Jesus. They have left their lives. They have left the agenda for their lives. They've left businesses. Their reputations have been destroyed because they followed him. They have reoriented their life around the life of Jesus Christ. And now he is telling them that he is going away and where he's going, they can't come. These are the same men who just uh, some short time earlier saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Levi talked about that last week. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days and, and he raised them from the dead. These men knew that Jesus was powerful. These men knew that Jesus was about to do something in the world that was going to be incredible. It was going to change the world. Now, in their minds, they were still thinking that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and he was going to um, do away with the Roman oppression of the Jews. What we know, because we know the rest of the story, is that, that Jesus had a much bigger agenda than that. Jesus was going to set the world free from the effects of sin, from the, the uh, penalty of sin. And that was going to be taken care of for all eternity. But for the disciples to hear that he's going away, they're like, what? Seriously? This can't be happening. Again, we have the, the benefit of the rest of the story, but they didn't. How many of you have ever had somebody close to you surprisingly move away? I remember in third grade having a friend by the name of Tony Rassi that, that moved away. Up until that point, I had never even thought about the fact that one of my friends wouldn't be a permanent part of my life. If you've had a friend that, that suddenly moved away uh, and your relationship with them ended, you have a little bit of an idea of the confusion and the pain that the disciples are feeling. Another reason the disciples are so confused and so troubled is that Jesus Christ looked at them and told them that they would all abandon him. In Matthew 26, 31, Jesus says, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. We know that, that Peter spoke up and said, hey, wait a second, the rest of these guys may abandon you, but I won't. I'm gonna be faithful to you until the end. And then in John 13, 38, we read Jesus and his reply to Pete. He says, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus is speaking to Peter at this point, letting him know that he would soon disown his master and his teacher and his friend. Peter and the rest of the disciples are literally in disbelief of this news. What about you? Is there anyone here this morning besides me that is troubled deeply by the fact that one moment you can feel so close to God and so in love with God and at the next moment step into the ugliness of greed or dishonesty or selfishness maybe it's pride or lust or jealousy here's the ironic thing about growing spiritually the more you grow spiritually the more aware you are of how far off the mark on your own you really are church hear me when I say Peter's pending failure of Jesus Christ did not push Jesus away from Peter 
Jesus and the grace of the cross would later fully restore Peter after he abandoned him. And the grace of the cross fully restores you and I today. We've said it before here at Crossroads. I hope other churches are saying it as well. There is absolutely no sin that the grace of the cross cannot cover. And I honestly believe that, that for some of you, the reason you were here today was to hear those, those words. God brought you here to hear that there is no sin that the grace of the cross cannot cover. So the disciples are troubled because one, they found out that one of them is going to betray Jesus. They couldn't imagine that. Secondly, that Jesus is going to leave them. That threw their world upside down. And that third, all of them were going to fail Jesus. So what has the ability to trouble your heart? Think about it. What today has the ability to trouble your heart in that kind of way? Is it fear? Is it fear about the future? A strained, broken relationship? Is it regret or unmet uh, dreams? Maybe you're dealing with some financial pressures today that other people aren't aware of. Or there's a pattern of sin in your life that, that just continues to have a stranglehold on your life. I'm not sure what it is for you. I know that there are things that, that trouble my heart this morning. And, and church, there's a false teaching out there in, in some places in America especially that God is in our successes, but he's not in our failures and in our pain. And, and many people will even say when we experience failure and pain that perhaps God has disowned us in some sort of way or he's disappointed with us. And that is not true. The truth is we live in a very broken world, broken by sin. Trouble is actually a pretty common, pretty normal experience in this life. And Jesus said, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. The disciples are troubled and confused. We're often troubled and confused. Let's now get to the good part. How does Jesus comfort his disciples and hopefully your heart today. Jesus comforts his disciples with two truths, and you can see them in verses 2, 3, and 4 of John 14. Jesus says, In my house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So with the weight of trouble and confusion bearing down on their hearts with crushing force, Jesus comforts these men that he loves with these two wonderful, incredible assurances. He says, first of all, I am leaving to prepare a heavenly home for you. And one day I will come back and take you to be there so that we can be there together. Jesus says, fellas, I'm going away, but that's a good thing because I'm going on ahead of you to prepare a place for you and I will come back and get you so that you will be with me. Now, had the disciples understood that in the way that we have the privilege and the honor of understanding that in the New Testament church today, Nothing would have encouraged their hearts more. But sadly, they didn't understand what he was saying. This morning, I simply want to remind you of what that means for us today. 
when our hearts are troubled, the primary truth that Jesus Christ shared is this. Earthly troubles are just that. They're earthly. They're temporary. They don't last forever. Jesus says, trust me, one day all things are going to be different. You see, no one in their right mind enjoys the troubles of life, but God works as much in our troubles and in our pain as he does our pleasure. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, our pain and our confusion is temporary. I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to hurt or to grieve, and neither does the Bible. However, don't forget that in this life, is not all that there is. In fact, this life, if you live a hundred years in this life, this life won't even amount to a blink in the eye of eternity. That's wonderful. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that our present suffering, what we suffer here today on earth, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For those of us who are here this morning, who have put our faith and our trust in Christ, let me encourage you that our troubles, our suffering, will not last forever. Paul says what awaits us in heaven is so unbelievable that when we get there, we aren't even going to mention or talk about the troubles that we had here in this life. One of the reasons the thought of heaven doesn't provide the amount of comfort that it really should to us today is that we simply don't take the time to think about it enough. We don't think about what awaits us in heaven. And this morning, I want to quickly remind you of two features, two of thousands of features in heaven that should encourage you this morning. What is heaven like? Number one, the primary feature of heaven is living in the literal presence of God. I'm not talking some ethereal kind of an experience. I'm talking about a tangible presence of our creator and our savior. Sometimes in this life, we all have done it. We've wondered, where are you, God? I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't experience you. Where are you, God? I I want you to know that that will never happen in heaven because there will not ever be a place in heaven where the literal presence of God will not be experienced by all who are there. Think about how nice that's going to be. Words can't even adequately describe what it will be like to be with God in a way that we can look him in the face and see the God who made us and see the God who, for whom we were made. Being in the literal presence of God will be our greatest joy. Now, there's absolutely no need for anyone here this morning to feel guilty because it's hard to believe that. I'll be honest with you, that's hard for me to believe. You know, the, the song says, and I believe it, We can only imagine it. 
That's not a promise that we can grab onto uh, as much as we'd like, but it is a promise and we need to think about it and we need to imagine it and we need to uh, um, uh, encourage ourselves with the reality that one day we will be in the literal presence of God. One author put it this way. He said, we will see God's breathtaking beauty in everything and in everyone in heaven. Church, heaven is a real place where we will have a real physical body and enjoy life like God designed it to be lived. And there's one more aspect of heaven that I want to encourage you with this morning. And this is maybe one that that really encourages my heart often. And heaven is a place of rest. It's a place of resting from what won't be in heaven. I want to read a little excerpt from a a book that an author by the name of Randy Alcorn wrote. And uh, this is just a little booklet of it. But Randy Alcorn wrote a book a number of years ago entitled Heaven. And it's basically a textbook of all that scripture says about heaven. And it will blow your mind. It will cause you to be excited about thinking about the possibilities of heaven. So this is what Randy Alcorn writes about what won't be in heaven. No death, no suffering, no funeral homes, abortion clinics, or psychiatric wards, no rape, missing children, or drug rehabilitation centers, no bigotry, no muggings or killings, no worry or depression or economic downturns, no war, no unemployment, no anguish over failure and miscommunication, no con men, no locks on doors, no mourning, no pain, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis, no handicaps, no cancer, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams and accidents, no septic tank backups. backups. That's a good one, honey. We've been there, haven't we? Uh, no mental illness, no unwanted emails, close friendships but no clicks, laughter but no put-downs, intimacy but no temptation to immorality, no hidden agendas, no backroom deals, no betrayals. Uh, Imagine mealtimes full of stories and laughter and joy without fear of insensitivity or inappropriate behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything else that eclipses joy. That will be heaven. No one will go hungry and all will be satisfied. No one will weep. Everyone will laugh. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. We can count on it. Church, we are going to rest from all of those kinds of things when we get to heaven. You can read Revelation chapter 21 if you'd like. It's a a description that John gives of heaven, and it's one that maybe you've heard of. Grab that this afternoon, and it'll reaffirm what Randy Alcorn writes. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, whatever it is that's causing your heart trouble right now will not be with you in heaven. Be encouraged by all of that. So all of that sounds great, but there'll be a few of you here, I would imagine, that will have the same question that Thomas asks in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And that brings us to the sixth I am statement that we want to look at this morning. And and I'm wrapping up. I'm not just getting started, so don't be nervous. Jesus Christ says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now notice, first of all, Jesus doesn't say, I am a way or one of many ways. Jesus states that he is the only way to heaven. And one of the many lies of the devil is painting Christianity out to be an exclusive religion or faith rather than an inclusive faith. The devil wants people to believe that that Americans think that Christianity is American and it's just for Americans and nothing could be further from the truth. Most of you are aware that Christianity was founded in the Middle East. Most of you are aware that Christianity is open to, to all. John 3, 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now who gets in? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only sons. For centuries, Bible scholars have been doing research on the original language of what that word, whoever, actually means. And here's what they've concluded. Whoever means whoever. No, no secrets. Heaven is available to whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Nationality, skin color, gender, age, IQ, none of that matters. Anyone who wants in can have free access through Jesus Christ. Sin separates us from a loving God, but Jesus Christ died on the cross and it bridges the gap that nothing that we do could bridge. And that's what Easter is all about. And boy, are we going to celebrate that in a couple weeks. While I'm on Easter, parents and grandparents, enjoy Easter. As Christians, Easter should be the best time of the year. It should be joy-filled. Your kids ought to be happy about Easter time and celebrate Easter. But one caution, parents and grandparents and friends and neighbors, don't do anything in your Easter celebration that distracts or disguises the real meaning of Easter. There's enough to celebrate about Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying certain family traditions are wrong or others are right. I'm just saying, make sure the main focus of Easter is Jesus Christ. Church, the truth is, it is God's desire that everyone end up in heaven. In 1 Timothy 2, uh, the Bible says that God wants all men, everyone, men, women, boys and girls, to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. Look at it this way. If uh, God's offer is open to anyone who takes advantage of it, if you have somebody in your life that tells you they will pay for an all-expense-paid vacation to an exclusive resort somewhere, and you can go there for free, you can stay there for as long as you want, and you can enjoy everything that that resort has to offer, but they slide a pass, an entrance pass, across the table to you. And they look you in the eye and they say, all of this is available to you, just as I described. However, if you don't show up with this pass, you will not get in. You can fly across the country. 
You can be there, but if you think you're going to get in another way without this pass, you will not get in. Now, if for whatever reason, because of your pride or because you think you can get in another way or you think they're just going to let you in or everybody gets in, you get there and you don't get into that resort and enjoy that vacation, who do you have to blame for that? Can you blame the person who, who paid for it and offered it and provided for you? Absolutely not. I, I don't understand why people get angry with, with Jesus Christ or somehow make it his fault when people don't receive that gift. It, it, it's just unbelievable to me. Church, as we end, I want to ask you one more time. This morning, what is troubling your heart? What just sits on your heart and creates pressure and stress for you? The disciples felt it. And here's how Jesus comforted the disciples. He said, I'm going away to prepare a heavenly home for you, and you're going to enjoy that one day. Church, meditate on that truth. Think about that truth. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it, it lets us know that Jesus was thinking about heaven when he went to the cross. It says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I can't begin to know what you're facing today, but, but I, I do know that thinking about heaven and the reality of heaven is the thing that can comfort your heart more than anything. I want you to know, doesn't mean God's going to change your circumstances here on earth. He didn't for the disciples. But because of their hope in heaven, they were able to sustain the experiences that they had. The band can come up. I want to read uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. This isn't on the screen, just listen. This is the Apostle Peter writing to Christians who are under a level of persecution that you and I could not even imagine. And Peter says this, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's pray, and then we'll close with a final song. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that are dealing with pressures that um, just seem to want to, to crack them open, Lord. Um, all of us deal with trials, and none of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring, Lord. Um, you told us that in this world we're going to have trouble, and we do. But, Lord, thanks for the reminder. Thanks for the example that Jesus was of pointing his disciples to the reality of heaven. Thank you for the encouragement that, that can come and be ours when we realize that the troubles that we experience on this earth, no matter how bad they are, will not go with us to heaven. Lord, thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, uh, we would be uh, remiss if we didn't think a little bit about that final statement that you said that, that people will only get to heaven through you. Uh, 
Father, if there would be anyone here this morning that doesn't fully understand what it means to have forgiveness and to have a right relationship with you, to have that that sin taken care of in their life, Lord, I pray that you would draw them, that you would guide them, that you would um, help them to understand the the love that you have for them and what you did for them on their behalf. Uh, Lord, I pray that people even this morning might choose to accept the free gift of salvation offered through simple faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we worship you now, may you be honored and glorified, and may even the way that we endure the trials of tomorrow uh, honor and glorify you, for it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen.